Hello everybody, welcome to the Spiritual Dad Podcast, episode number four. Yeah, four, here we go. I'm very excited today, as usual, um, to introduce you to Aaron McCarthy, PhD, Mindfulness Master. Well, she wouldn't say that, but I would say that. The amount of uh, time that she spent learning about mindfulness, and uh, we're talking about mindfulness for adults um, and kids. Yeah, so we get into some amazing things in this short chat here. Um, and I can't believe what we covered. I'm still thinking about all the things that she had, you know, filled my brain with. Uh, amazing things that we talk about. So obviously mindfulness teaching and, uh, and how important that is to becoming a mindful parent. If you want to be a mindful parent, right? If you want to have a mindful child, um, be a mindful parent. That's what we talk about, getting into that. So work on yourself and then your child will model that living by example and such. Uh, we also talk about the philosophy of happiness, which is great because then we get to chat about the Dalai Lama, who I just love talking about. He's, it always makes me smile just thinking about his face. Uh, and then of course, uh, one thing that I find really incredible that Erin's doing is philosophical counseling. So she's been, uh, you know, a professor at universities in New York State. So she's, um, and we'll talk about that. She mentions that, but uh, just how all her training and all her experiences combine to this amazing new thing that she's doing, just starting like now. Um, and you can get a taste of that. It's mindfulness and goal setting. So she's doing this. It's in the podcast. She started it last year or just at the end, but Wednesdays at noon. Anyways, you'll, you'll see in the podcast, she's doing a free live. So for teaching that, but I just wanted to make sure to get that in there um, because it's so crucial. Imagine having something where you can go every Wednesday, middle of the week at noon. So middle, like we're talking the middle way. <laughs> I don't know if she meant to do that. She's, um, has studied obviously all the, uh, the Asian philosophies and, and Buddhism. And I wonder if it is like a Zen middle way thing to do Wednesdays at noon. I'll have to ask her about that. Anyways, um, enjoy the podcast. It's super enlightening. It's really, 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 um, I found I was pondering a lot of the things that she said and, and the way she says them. She's because she's a professor and has been for so many years, uh, the way she's able to communicate her, her message about um, mindfulness. And so please enjoy, get at it. I'm going to put in a whole bunch of resources that Erin has provided for me to put in here. So if you want to check out the writing here, all these books um, that have affected her and her life and that she feels are really, really important, um, including, you know, parenting, mindfulness, parent, mindful parenting. Um, so yeah, enjoy the podcast, everybody. Much love. Mwah. For you personally, uh, you know, what brought you on this path of mindfulness teaching mm. yeah, um, sure. and, and how, yeah, how you came to be the person that you are right now, such a helpful, meaningful um, job that you do. Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> I love this work that I'm doing and I'm always excited to talk about it. So so yeah, my path towards mindfulness was, uh, so I remember the first time I ever meditated that I was aware of what I was doing was uh, in university when I was an undergraduate and the professor of our Asian philosophy class taught, uh, brought someone in, I can't even remember who he brought in, um, and taught us to meditate. And that was the first time I'd ever meditated and I, it felt like coming home, like it just felt really good. Um, now I was what, 19 or 20. So, you know, I sort of did it every now and again, like I didn't go wholesale into it. I was like, yeah. Oh yeah, that was cool. Wow. That's what these guys are writing about, you know? And then I did my PhD and, um, did, a, did some yoga, you know, which included some mindfulness, but you know, 
it wasn't until I was already teaching for a number of years, realizing that all of these great Zen masters that I was teaching my students, so I'm a philosophy professor, up, up to this point, my main gig has been being a philosophy professor, and that's about to change, and I'll tell you about that when we get to that part of the story. Um, so I, uh, I realized all the great masters, whether it was in Taoism, and uh, I teach, I, you know, been teaching all, all of Asian philosophy, an impossible task, but, yeah. you know, Taoism, Confucianism, Buddhism, and all of the great teachers and great philosophers say, in all those traditions, you can't just learn it from reading. You've got to do it. And so I started teaching um, practices in my class and I started doing more Zen meditation in my personal life. And um, we would do these little experiments in class and students wanted more and more and more of that. And I thought, oh, okay. So um, at the same time around 2009, I was doing a, a I had a fellowship at Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. It's a Buddhist inspired institution. Yeah, and I was yeah. finishing up my book there. And um, what their, one of the biggest strengths there is contemplative education which is integrating contemplative um, practices from all different traditions, so not just Buddhist, into the classroom to help students learn better, essentially. So I discovered this thing called contemplative education, and I thought, oh, this is it. This is what I've been trying to do when I would, you know, bring in a yoga teacher when I was teaching my students Hinduism or, you know, mm -hmm. guide them in a Zen practice. And so it all really came together somewhere there around, yeah, about 10 or 11 years ago. And then I realized I could help more students at the university if I had, if, if I got some training in secular mindfulness, because it's not appropriate in every class to get kids to do Zen, you know? Um, yeah. And so I started exploring that more. I did a training here in Ottawa in um, mindfulness-based symptom management at the Ottawa Mindfulness Center, did the teaching um, training there. Then I did a mindful self-compassion teacher training after that. And then it just started spiraling. And um, I've been, I ran a sitting group on campus for a lunchtime mindfulness. I think it was Mindfulness Mondays for many, many, many years. And people wow. would just come and sit. And um, so I was integrating it mostly into my teaching and then started thinking about um, doing more with people who weren't my students at the university. And so I did a training in um, mindfulness for kids because I could see how it was a need. I can't exactly remember why I decided I was going to do that, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> Things just sort of take a life yeah. of their own. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, so I did a training through a wonderful person who's in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo um, and uh, called Mindful Kids, Sheena Bunsanga. And then I did the Mindful Schools Educator Essentials and decided I would start teaching mindfulness for kids classes, as well as working with adults on campus. Mm -hmm. So that was the first, that was how it sort of started. And then since then, I've also done a mindfulness coach training with Unified Mindfulness. Um, okay. and, the, and I'm doing a, a master's level, they're calling it a master's level program with them. It's a year long training program now to get the next level of mindfulness coaching. Amazing. And um, yeah, so, so that was sort of the path. And the reason I did it is because people just wanted more and more of it. I could see how it made my life better mm -hmm. and, um, and, and really helped reduce suffering, you know, mm. like that. And that was really the impetus behind it to help people live better lives and mm. stress less, particularly kids and parents, because it's a stressful thing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And no one tells you how stressful it is. <laughs> it's so true. As someone said, like, it's like, it sounds morbid, but it's like death because you don't know what it's like until you experience no, you it. Exactly. <laughs> People can and tell you everything. No one you know. can tell you. Yeah. 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 And until you have your own personal experience, it's so true. My yeah. goodness. Wow. So do you just on the, the mindfulness for children? So yeah. it's funny that that came so much later in your in your studying. Mm-hmm. Is it because you never thought of it? Or it was it like, that's going to be even more challenging? Because how do I, um, you know, translate all this amazing wisdom and knowledge into, you know, into being having children actually like it and be excited about yeah. coming to, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a great question. I have to think about that yeah, for a minute. No worries. Um, yeah. Well, I think because, you know, my life has been steeped in a college campus for 20 mm. years. You know, I've been teaching at St. Lawrence University in upstate New York okay. um, for 20 years. So I have this, you know, cross-border lifestyle yeah, um, wow. or have had up to this point. And, um, and I think it was my own kids seeing, okay. you know, what was going on in their classrooms. And I think it was having my own kids that really inspired me to want okay. to to work with kids. I also really like kids. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. And you're, fun, you're good with them. You know? So yeah. But they've always had it, right? I mean, think about, so here's the thing is you don't really need to teach mindfulness to little kids. Little kids are mindful, right? Have you ever tried to go somewhere fast with a three-year-old? Yeah. Good luck. Right? <laughs> like, just think about it. You go for, you step one foot outside and they're like, down looking at the rocks, right? And they can spend hours absorbed in looking at like tiny pebbles and an ant traveling from one place to the next. And mm. I remember even in, in junior kindergarten walking, um, walking to school with the girls and um, for some reason, I guess the other twin must have gone off ahead um, or was homesick or something, but I was walking with my, my one daughter and she had to stop and save every worm because it had rained and that it was drying up and she was worried that the worms weren't going to survive if they were on the sidewalk. So she would stop like every, right. That's mindfulness. That's awareness. Kids are naturally mindful. They're naturally compassionate. They're natural. You know, Mm. we aren't right. By the time you're a parent, we aren't. And so what the research shows is that in fact, the biggest impact, if you want to teach If you want your kids to be mindful, the best thing you can do is develop the skill of being mindful yourself because they watch, you know, this, they watch everything you do. They, Mm. they, they, the good and the bad comes out, right? Like our, our kids, teachers, especially when they're little know so much about what's going on in our homes. It's so true. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So they did, they soak stuff up. So, so what's really interesting in the research is more than teaching your kids tools, which is important for sure. And I'm happy to talk about that, but it's becoming a mindful parent. Mm, and I and they that. really noticed that I, when I yeah. was doing my training, uh, started all my teacher training when the girls were, um, I think around two or three, two and a half, three. And I was making dinner one night and um, we had a little art table in the kitchen. So you could sort of keep an eye on them while you were cooking. And, and uh, she was coloring away there. And she looked at me and she said, uh, she said, mommy, do you have mindfulness tonight? Do you have your mindfulness class? I said, yeah, I'm going to my mindfulness class. I said, why do you ask? She said, because I think you need it. I said, oh, okay, why do I, you know, she's like, it's good for you or something like that. I said, oh, yeah. She said, yeah, yeah, you're not a patient anymore. I was like, okay, 
I'm not a patient anymore. What does that mean? I'm not a patient. I said, do you mean I'm not impatient anymore? Do you mean that I don't, you know, like lose my patience with you as much? Yeah. Yeah. You're not a patient anymore. And so, you know, so kids notice that Mm. and then that we model it for them. Right. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Live by living by example. Sort of thing. Yeah. Amazing. It's such simple advice, but so hard to put into practice. Right. I mean, that's the thing about mindfulness, right? It's like, okay, be in the moment. You're like, yeah, whatever, easy. And then you try it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So true. Uh, uh, Devinder Kaur says she has a friend. You know Devinder Kaur from Pranashanti? She's, yeah, I've never met her, but of course I know. Oh, who she okay. Is. I just yeah. figured you guys might have connected. Oh, yeah. well, she uh, she talked me or uh, meditation training. I took her training last year, and uh, one of her stories about her friends who have a mindfulness clock in their house. So oh. every hour there's this clock. And it goes off and it means, oh, okay, stop and take three concentrated breaths. Um, And they have it. So she was there for the weekend one time and then bing, bing, clock goes off and they all stop and they would take three breaths, everybody in the house, no matter where they were. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, the kids grew up with this and she said it was great. She loved it. I think the guy's wife was a bit like, I don't know about this anymore. You know, can we take it down? But they've kept it going and it's really improved their lives, they say. So, yeah. so this is amazing. I love that you've given so many tips already for helping kids get into this. Yeah. Um, uh, and then how, by living by example, looking at ourselves first, and then, you know, going from there. When I read Dr. Shafali's book, um, The Conscious Parent, I don't know if you've mm, heard of her, but oh, okay. Great. That's a really cool. Cause she's the big lesson in the book is about how y- your children are your gurus. Yeah. So, you know, pay attention to them. Because yeah. you could learn a lot and yeah. uh, just kind of looking at that and more of an honoring of your child yeah. too, you know, yeah. instead of uh, trying to shape them and mold them into what you want them to be. Yeah. It's like, just love them as who they are. And, it, and it's all yeah. perfect the way it is. Yeah. Um, I think that's been a big, huge lesson for me too, because you do get caught up in the, the rush and bustle of life. And, and oh, then, for sure. Yeah. And your kids could be saying something at the breakfast table, like, your child said to you about you're not a patient anymore. Like that is like really, really precious advice, you know, and, right. and wisdom they coming. Things. Yeah, absolutely. Things. Yeah, it's so true. And they're just like, I always say, you know, they might be a bit wiser than us. They're closer to the threshold, right? They're younger. Mm-hmm. They're clo- That's they, right. They, you know, we're the mystery, right? The mystery of death. What's going to happen? Yeah. Where, you know, yeah. well, they're closer to, they just came from there. So maybe they've still got some they, memory. Maybe we have some things yeah. when I used to, and I haven't been teaching kids that. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I did for three, the first three months um, till school was over from what was that March until June of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, uh, I did uh, twice a week. I offered free classes online for kids who were at home and then everyone nice. got all burned out on zoom and, yeah. Uh, and it's hard to teach it online. And so I haven't taught, I haven't been doing it anymore just because it was too, it's uh, kids were all yeah. burned out on Zoom and it's just too, yeah. it's just too proven too difficult with a group of kids um, mm-hmm. for, to, to, to teach the way I like to teach. But, but when I was yeah. teaching in class, I would do things like tell the kids like, you have mindfulness superpowers, right? You know, and mm. we don't have it. Grownups don't have it, you know, and they, they loved. So, you know, we, we always made it fun and made it a game. Like how many things can you see, you know, or look around the classroom? What do you see that you haven't noticed before? You know, do you, can you see yeah. anything new? And, and so, you know, tapping into that, their sense mm. of play and fun is really the best way to teach kids 
how to be to to help them realize that these innate abilities they have are actually skills that can help them work with big emotions and yeah. you know and wow. you know as they get older to work with the you know help them self-regulate mm. and and yeah. uh, give them those tools that maybe we didn't get when mm. we were kids you know yeah. we didn't get growing up because our parents just didn't know about them although it was really bizarre my dad taught me how to do a, a progressive relaxation when I was like 14 what? And I talked to my brother, my brother, um, my brother, he taught my brother to do this too. I guess one night I couldn't sleep and, uh, you know, I, I was, I was raised Catholic. And so, you know, if I couldn't sleep, my parents would say, just say the rosary, you know, like you, you just, you just, yeah. you know, you yeah. click the beads and you say it, it's like a mantra, you know, you don't even think about it. It's mm. just like, it lulls your mind into sleeping. Mm. And that wasn't working. And so my dad said, okay, we'll try this. And he guided me through, I have no clue to this day how he learned about this because that would have been in what the early 80s um so uh but he taught me how to you know start at your toes and so it's really funny now i'm like oh that's like a body scan like how like a progressive relaxation meditation how on earth did my dad know how to do that you know so these these things we teach our kids give them skills so while my parents like you know sounds a little bit similar like I didn't get skills for like how to deal with anger or how to you know how to work with um big emotions other Mm. than you know like you know go in your room and crying I mean they were supportive of it but I don't think they were taught those skills either so to be able to give our kids through mindfulness give them the skills of um equanimity you know Mm. like not getting pushed and pulled around by their experience without repressing it either right without shoving it away yeah i mean you know i'm from a pretty waspy background although catholic so whatever that is and you know it's like push it down push it down we used to joke my brother and sister and i that our family crest is like a a big rug with a pile and from all the stuff you know (laughs) it's a big lump in the in the carpet oh my goodness exactly exactly So, you know, and and, I can relate to that. Like you said, it's right. Like, and it's not that they, it's just, they, they didn't know. And so, you know, it's really great to be able Mm. to give kids skills, to stop their thoughts from Mm. sitting, to help them slow down, to come back to calm, because we Mm. never want to teach them that emotions are bad. Right. No, no. You're hitting on so many things. Yeah. Like what I've, Oh my God. My synapses are like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I just, there were so many things like, so when I was saying like, how do we integrate mindfulness? You, you said, you know, integrate it into your own life and that'll, mm-hmm. that'll definitely, cause they watch everything. I love that. Um, but is there a possible, like where you can do something that's not compatible? Like, you know, maybe, um, Zazen or candle meditation or one pointed meditation and these things, can be too harsh for children or too. For ch- too- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great, great question. So yeah. um, when I work with kids, so I'm, you know, I'm a long time Zen practitioner myself. Um, so I've asked myself exactly the questions, especially because I'm also a feminist philosopher, right? So, yeah. so yeah. it's this, why as a feminist philosopher, did I choose the sort of most like disciplinary and almost masculine type Ah. of meditation to do right like there's this you know Mm. so part of it was you know I like the discipline of it um and I really appreciate that but I I really hear what you're saying about there being feeling like there can be a lack of compassion in that practice 
Although mm-hmm. that said, when I've done long retreats, I've had moments of heart opening that were just, you know, like the big love, you know, like call it God, call it source, call it what Buddha, call it whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, right? That connection to something bigger, that sense of oneness with the universe. So we could go yeah. on like a whole, like really long conversation about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms to actually answer your question about with kids, I don't think Zazen is, you know, like I don't, when I'm, when I work with children, we keep it short. We never sit in, in, in a five week class, we would never sit in silence or sit in any type of meditation without moving for more than three minutes. And we work up to over five weeks, we would work up to three minutes. Um, You know, that, that practice Zazen was not designed for kids. It was designed, it wasn't even designed for lay people, right? Like Mm. if you look at the Zen, that Zen practice was designed for monastics who lived in a container that would support that kind of, um, Really disciplined, hard practice. Now, Mm -hmm. we do it as lay people. We, you know, like, and and actually, um, a a wonder, I can't remember his name now, but a Zen teacher I know from uh, from Boulder said when he found out I was having uh, twins, he's like, ah. So now your life is a sashin. So, you know, sashin and Zen is the, the, the long retreat. It's like your life is a sashin. Wow. And so, you know, it's really for me a, a, about teaching kids how to integrate it, making it fun. And then, and then it becomes a part of their daily life. It's, you know, it's tools in their toolbox for working with big emotions, for knowing, you know, knowing when they need to talk to a trusted adult about stuff. But, mm. um, you know, if they want to sit and put all their focus on a candle flame, sure, give it a try. But you can't expect it's a rare kid that will sit. And, you know, my kids used to sit yeah. in meditation with me when they were like three. They're like, oh, mommy's meditating. And they would come Aww. sit. And, <laughs> That's um, amazing. You know, like they feel they they would feel the the energy of my calm and my practice. Yeah. They would want to come. The dog always comes to, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you have pets, but, you know, Learn they more, know when you. you're trying to be calm and Zoom, you know, there they all are. <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of time when they're adults to learn to sit and meditate and learn to, you know, be, be with their minds. But I, I don't think that, uh, I'm sure there are people who will disagree with me, but for me, it's more about making it fun, making it play, giving them, you know, these tools to support social emotional learning, helping mm-hmm. them sort of harness those natural gifts they have yeah. for experiencing joy right? Mm. Fully, wholeheartedly. Mm. When kids experience joy, they're not worried that it's going to end, right? So they don't cling like we do, right? It's like, oh my God, I don't want this moment to end. And then you've missed it because Uh. you're worried about it ending and you haven't (laughs) even been in it, right? But kids don't do that. No, they're there. Yeah. And and you're with them. They go from laughing to crying in like no time flat. Like they'll be like livid with you, absolutely angry. And furious, and then two seconds later, giving you a hug, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they've experienced what they experience fully, and then they move on. And sometimes yeah. that's disorienting for them. And that's where we can give them, you know, mindfulness tools. Mm-hmm. But I never really ask kids to, well, I'll do a guided meditation in the class. Like, mm-hmm. but, yeah. um, but really, it's not about single pointed, although if they yeah. like love to watch a fire, let them do it. You Go know? ahead. Yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I guess that goes for also teach, like you do philosophical counseling. 
Yeah. And I think that's amazing. Just even that word, uh, that sentence or those two words. Um, And then I also said just your thoughts with philosophical counseling and the philosophy of happiness. Um, Because I think of like the Dalai Lama. I I read Mm -hmm. a book about the philosophy of happiness. His his happiness book. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful. You know, it's so funny when I read his books, I'm like, I feel like there's so much in here. And then I try to reiterate it to somebody else and I just can't. It's just the way he. I know. And you know, it always ends so up simple. with the Dalai Lama. It always ends up being like, yeah, just be kind to people. Yeah. Right. And then you're like, there's so much things. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, he's just like, yeah, just be, just be kind. Be nice. and, yeah, I, I prefer <laughs> exactly. to be peaceful. And, and it's just yeah. like, what? But there was so, anyway. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one who feels yeah, like I can't no. translate the Dalai Lama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Um, But yeah, I guess what is philosophical counseling? So yeah, so so philosophical counseling, um, I think it sort of started really in North America around the 80s, although it was being done in Europe before. And it's so it's not therapy. It's not like philosophical counselors can't, um, you know, they can't diagnose, they can't prescribe medicines, they can't do anything like that. It's really um, to help people think through big questions, right? Like, Mm. you know, who am I? (laughs) <laughs> what, why, why are we here? Those, those big questions that you, that you maybe haven't had a chance to think about since you were a kid, or maybe you took a philosophy class as an undergraduate. And um, philosophical counseling helps people work through questions around values, um, sometimes things around uh, ethics, questions around meaning and purpose in life. Um, largely, and my approach is largely asking people questions. Like we know as philosophers, we know what the questions are and, and, you know, originally philosophy was about, well, how do we live life? You know, how do we live a good life? And, Mm. and, and to answer that question, you need to know who you are, right? Well, who, who is this me who's living this life and what's important to me? And so there are particular times in people's lives when it might be really helpful so if they're finding themselves just not you know not you know they sort of you've got everything you wanted now often it'll be people who you know like I've got you know I wanted kids I got kids I got a great partner I got a great job but something just doesn't feel satisfying right Mm -hmm. and so we would explore well what's what's going on there and often that comes down to a question of values and meaning and purpose Mm-hmm. Um, which can get really lost in the busyness of the everyday. Mm. Yeah. The other thing philosophical counseling does is help people see the flaws in their reasoning. So, um, you know, if you've like jumped to a conclusion, philosopher can help you like back up a minute and be like, hey, these are your premises. They yeah. don't they don't support the conclusion you've landed at. So helping people find the flaws in their thinking, yeah. untangle unhelpful thought patterns. Okay. Um, the way, so cool. and, and the way I do it is, is a little bit unique because uh, last year I did a training in uh, mind body therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I, and, and because all of my philosophical work has been about um, embodiment and self and, and the body, yeah. um, I always integrate the body into things. So I, I bring a somatic approach of sort of cool. checking in with where you feel certain emotions. And it's really helpful to help untangle uh, what is tangled up. So yeah, yeah so that's what, that's what philosophical counseling is. 
It's wow. I love it. It's so cool. Yeah. And I think it's, it's great when you said it's, you kind of said like, it can be good for positive, but then you also said it can point out the, the reasoning, the flaws mm-hmm. in the reasoning. I love that because it reminded me of um, my wife was having some issues with someone on a Facebook thread. Mm-hmm. And yes, the advice happens. <laughs> yeah, the advice from her cousin was, uh, and this was great advice was basically, well, just, I just ask questions. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't say statements. I just ask them questions and continuously. And then eventually it's kind of like you said, they see the flaws in their reasoning sometimes. sometimes. Or if you ask a question, it gives them an opportunity to really explain and not just, well, this is, uh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. kind of, yeah, it's kind of like, look at the philosophy behind it as to why yeah. you're, or what's going on behind there. Yeah. So you just ask yeah. questions. Oh, and, yeah. and it helps people see things from different angles. That's the other thing. So if you, if you have a dilemma, like, should I take this job? What's how, you know, why am I not happy in my relationship? We talk about those specific questions too. And yeah. a philosopher can help you see, see those questions from a variety of perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. So from an existential perspective, it looks like this, yeah. you know, from a utilitarian perspective, it looks like this. And it's not that, um, I mean, it's not that sort yeah. of, you know, didactic, but, yeah. Um, yeah. but it can be really helpful to get different perspectives on your problem because, you know, often we only see it from one, um, mm. you know, from, from one point of view. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. really helpful for like career transitions mm. and, and things like, things like yeah. that too. Amazing. And, and in yeah. terms of philosophy of happiness, you know, I taught a course mm. at the university for many, many years called the philosophy of happiness. It's one of my favorite courses to teach. Sounds great. <laughs> and, you know, asking the question, like, what is, uh, I, I, and I, I play with the idea of doing it as a course, like, you know, that yeah. anyone can take. Oh. Um, yeah. so, well, you, you know, but, but, question, <laughs> but questions like, well, what is happiness? What does it mean? And, mm-hmm. and we also really dive into the question of when happiness becomes oppressive, right? Like when someone says to you, I just want you to be happy. That formidable joy. Yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> a Brene feel, Brown. I had to say <laughs> not so good. I love her. She's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, that can feel not so good. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we looked into all things and we looked at things from Eastern perspectives and Western perspectives. And um, wow. I think it's a really rich um, thing to explore. Like yeah. What makes absolutely. me happy? What does happiness even mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't mean that the, the course is not all sunshine and rainbows, you know, like right. it's, yeah. it's, and that too, like that's, I'm working on a recording right now called the heart or, um, and that too, colon the heart, because all my songs lately have been about opening, trying to open the heart, trying to get that before this feel here before this starts to take over. And then you forget about what you actually felt here. So I find always, and that's another Ram Dass and that too, Mm -hmm. because he wasn't accepting in, in this particular talk that he did, he was talking about how he wasn't accepting the full picture, like the suffering yeah. of the world, as well yeah. as all the love yeah. and, and seeing that it is all kind of love, but you need yeah. to accept that too. And this was like, he was on an LSD trip and right. he was in the middle of the desert. This was in the seventies and he was hanging off of a, like everything went black all around. He was on a bus and he got out and he was like sitting on the, the uh, hood of the, the bus and the whole desert was just like, black space like emptiness and he wow. started to freak out and he was having a bit of a freak out and he's like oh it's just the drug it's gonna pass but then as soon as he kind of was like hanging onto the the bus like as if it was like his lifeline he was freaking yeah. out and he was like thinking he was going to become part of this abyss and he was like ah but then he said he had this like feeling come over him of 
it and that too, like accept mm-hmm. that too in my heart. Mm-hmm. I can accept everything. And as soon as he did that, everything changed. Like everything went positive right. again. The holes went away, or they they were there, but they were more manageable or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. it became less scary when you accept it instead of trying to paint over everything with love, 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 like looking at everything, looking at the stuff, you know? And And that's, yeah. And that's some of the work I do in in philosophical counseling. So there's a a particular, another training (laughs) in (laughs) inner relationship focusing, which is about looking at and accepting all of our parts, right? Mm. Looking at, and, and in doing that, we don't get hijacked by them anymore. Right. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, I hear you self-doubt. There you are. One of my favorite meditation teachers, uh, Jeff Warren, um, he always suggests that you, um, you like you befriend these critical parts of yourself in kind of like a, a like a jokey way, you okay. know, so you're yeah. like, give them a funny name. Right. So when that self-criticism <laughs> or that self-doubt jumps in, you're like, okay, Frank, there you are. Yeah. Nice <laughs> to see you again, you know, and, and you sort of, you befriend them and that's, Ooh. you know, there's, so you find that in, in Buddhism and in mindfulness, you find it in parts work and, mm. and it's, it's really about it that, that we are minds and bodies and we have all of these parts in us. And, um, you know, that's where for me, the mindfulness skill of equanimity really comes into it. So the ability to not get pushed and pulled around by our experience. What's John Kabat-Zinn says, um, Mm. you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. Ah, I love it. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's like, don't like Pima Chodron kind of like, don't react you know, like trying non-reactive response. Non-reactive. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Respond instead of react. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's it. So yeah. That respond yeah. instead of react. Cause react, you're bringing so everything. Powerful. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And that's and the, the hardest resp- thing in parenting, right? Mm. Like oh, that's you're bringing back like generations of yeah. drama, you know, victims upon yeah. victims. And then, then yeah. you're now making your child or child a victim yeah. as well, because of you're just passing on the ancestral patterns, yeah. right? There's all that stuff. Yeah. It's so true. It's, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> It's, yeah, but if you <laughs> can, per- but that's where the self-kindness comes mm-hmm. in, right? Because you're yeah. not going to be perfect. None of us are going to be perfect because and we're human beings. That's I, what it is to be this, right? That's it's pretty what it special. Is to be it's this true. Human. Yeah, it's, like it's, we could. You're perfectly imperfect. Yeah, one one of the the great gifts of um, mindful self-compassion for me and for the folks I work with um, is that when you're able to set those boundaries from a place of self-compassion from a place of loving yourself and um, and giving yourself what you need, mm. they're received so differently than when we put them up with that, like, no kind of thing. Yeah. And sometimes that fierce self-compassion is exactly what is necessary. Sometimes Absolutely. it needs to be no. But when it comes from that place, whether it's fierce self-compassion or more softer self-compassion, when it comes from that place of self-compassion, it's met differently and it's easier to hold those boundaries because you're mm-hmm. not doing it out of fear or out mm-hmm. of defensiveness. You're doing it out of, this is what I need right now. And when wow. you stand in that space, um, then I think it's much, I've noticed in my life too, it's much easier to set those boundaries. So it sounds yeah. like, you know, in my, my, my coaching work with um, adults, uh, you know, we, uh, we all, I always try at least to introduce some self-compassion practices. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I, because I often that's... one of the issues people have is boundary issues, you know? Yeah. So they can't really change those until they accept themselves fully. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. One thing you said at the beginning that your your career is changing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd yeah. love to know more about where you're so, headed and what's happening. So, um, as I mentioned, I've been since 2000. I've been a philosophy professor uh, in upstate New York, and then uh, just before the pandemic hit, January 6, 2020, I got rear-ended. I was minding my own business. I was on my way back from IKEA, actually, with all kinds of stuff in my car for my new office. You know that I was renting a Beehive Studios. And uh, I was at a yield sign stopped, you know, at Maitland there when you come home from Ikea and, uh, or, well, maybe not. Anyway, I and place, so yeah. I, was, I was stopped. I was waiting to pull into traffic and whoever was behind me for whatever reason accelerated into me. And so I sustained a concussion. It was my second concussion. My first one I had recovered from just fine. And I had already been working with folks in concussion recovery as part of my mindfulness coaching practice. So I knew what to do. Um, Long story short, I now live with persistent concussion symptoms. And um, while my brain is about 85 to 90% um, recovered, turns out that 10, 15% pretty important for doing the work of a full-time professor. So um, my coaching practice, I'd always, it was always sort of a, you know, side gig. And I'd always thought, okay, well, when I retire, I can do that. And, um, now that's I'm retiring from the university um, at the end of the summer, and I'm going to be doing this coaching um, coaching work full time. So the mindfulness coaching, the philosophical counseling, um, as wow. full time as my brain will allow me. So yeah, yeah this is the, actually the first time I've said this publicly. Yay. So well, um, you totally lit I'm up. Terrified? Oh, did I? Okay. Yeah. And, and like <laughs> even earlier when you mentioned it, there was just like this choom, and then it, and then we yeah. started talking about other stuff. So I wanted to get yeah. back to it, but yeah, this yeah. is something that obviously is really like you're you're meant to do, and and it's like the mission, oh, the passion is all there. I can feel you, it from Eric. you, yeah. and it's so amazing. I'm so excited for you. Wow. Yeah. That's so, so cool. Thank you. So yeah, I'm I'm and I'm on sabbatical this year. So I'm doing a couple of writing projects, but really, you know, also trying to grow the grow the coaching practice and, cool. and just, you know, help people yeah. live their lives with more ease. Really, yes. that's what it's about. Kids, adults, you know, my work mostly is with adults at the moment just because mm-hmm. of COVID stuff. And because um, yeah. sometimes a lot of little kids now with this new brain, the way it's rewiring, it's like, oh, that's yeah. a lot of stimulation, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wow. But in person, it might be different. But yeah, okay. so I'm I'm excited and I'm I'm you know I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> That's you the know, best, right? When you have the, the fear, like even doing this it, podcast thing for me, I'm fear, yeah. I'm, like I was really afraid to start it. Yeah. I still have anxiety because I'm an introvert extrovert. Like yeah. when I'm on stage, oh, I'm Mister Personality. Yep. But when, when I'm, I'm in front at of the home, classroom, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, and then it's like Jekyll and Hyde or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Not that so, bad, but it's, it's, uh, you, so I can you need the, the, yeah, you need the recharge time to go out and do social stuff, right? It's just Absolutely. the way your battery works. Yeah. yeah. And, and same, it sounds like, oh, that's great. Yeah. The fear, whenever there's a bit of fear, that's the best time to just go for it more and more. Yeah. Cause that's, that's that grace there. That's showing you here's an opportunity, you know? Yeah. And it's oh, really meaningful yeah. work. And I feel like oh, it, yeah. it's all of my work. I do some work with survivors too. One of the things I did at the university for 20 years was um, support um, the sexual assault survivors. So I'm doing some um, mindfulness work with, with survivors as well. And yeah. so it's like all of the, the work I've done, the academic work, what I've written about and taught about and um, written and, and, and talked about 
and I'm I'm really putting it into practice in this next chapter yeah. in a in a different way. So it does feel I love the work. It's like having students who always want to be in class, right? Oh, That's yeah. how I I love my coaching clients because they want to be there, right? And after yeah. 20 years of teaching, not everyone always wants to be there. Oh yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so it's such oh, a wow. joy to yeah to work with people and to help them. You know, whether it's with their kids or or with their own, you know, I do family coach, mindfulness coaching okay, sessions, cool. and yeah. you know, just to help people because if you're happier with yourself, right, and if you are more at ease and are less stressed and less anxious, you're going to be a better parent. You know, to bring yeah. it back around to the theme of your of your podcast, yes. and yeah, and and also to get in touch with all of those parts of yourself. I think you're right. There's it's a funny thing, dads out in the world, right? You know, my <laughs> husband because I was working in the States, he took um, a parental leave. I, you know, I got like, I got a good for the States. It was good. I had one semester when I was home, but I had to go back to work when the girls were pretty little. Mm. And so he would show up, you know, at a, at a mom and baby group and everyone would be like, Oh, you're so amazing. And he's <laughs> like, well, I'm just being a parent. Like, yeah. and I was like, you got yeah. a cookie for you got a cookie. Cause you showed up, you know, like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's so true so, though. Yeah. It's, but it's at the true. same time, you know, I know that, that for um, men who are, you know, dads who want to show their kids, it's okay to be emotional. You know, they mm. haven't learned that it's, it is important to like to, to, to build that awareness, to get to know who you are and then to, to be able to see, that vulnerability is a strength right mm -hmm. like like Brené Brown's all of her yep. work on vulnerability and that's yes, hard in mm -hmm. that's, this is why I think that you know feminism is better for everybody right it's yep. better for women it's better for men it's better mm -hmm. for society yeah. because it stops putting people in little boxes of this is what yep. it is to be a man this is what mm -hmm. it is to be a woman this you mm -hmm. know like getting people out of their out of their boxes and yeah Amazing. Well, this, I wish we could talk longer. This is uh, like, thank you for taking this time. And I love that you're, you're doing what you're doing and I'm going to follow your journey further into this. I know um, I'm going to share it with everybody when it, cause everybody needs to be integrating this into their lives. So they got to book a session with Aaron McCarthy. I think if you're in the Ottawa area, <laughs> no, honestly, like it's I um I Crucial. see people virtually, so I see oh, you people do too. virtually. Oh, beautiful! So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Always have, in fact. So, so with yeah. adults, with adults virtually, the kids, yeah. it's a little bit. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Kids, it's cool. a little harder if there's yeah. groups of kids. I can do one on one with kids, but it's. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I've seen adults virtually right from the beginning. So that's wonderful. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah that's, thank you, Derek. Great. Oh, thank you so much. Um, what I'll, a I'll, wonderful uh, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have more now that we're friends. Sounds good. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like and that was it. another thing of my podcast was friends in your forties and your fifties and like how it's hard, right? It's totally making new friends is like it's really hard. Really hard. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad I'm, I'm I made a new friend today. Yay. Yeah, me too. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so cool. Ah, oh, well, thank you. And um, just one more thing. If there is yeah. one, and this is hard, one book, yep. mm. I know you post a lot of books on your social media, yeah. but if there's one that you could specifically for, for parents of little ones um, who are having struggling, maybe just with, with the whole living in the moment while getting shit done. Uh, like if there's one particular book, I mean, I know you're, you have a, do you not have something that you've made and released like a, a book yet? I, uh, I do not have a book yet. I have, okay. um, mindfulness cards. 
Um, yes. I, I sell, uh, yeah, I created, uh, they're called soothed mindfulness cards. I should, I wish I had a pack of them and they're in mm -hmm. a, a little canvas bag and they're designed to be done in like one to three minutes. The practices, cool. you like pop them in your, pop them in your backpack, your briefcase, your bag, and you yeah. pull them out when you need them. Um, and that helps people like find their calm when they need it. You know, like you're waiting in line or whatever it is. Yeah. A book I really liked, um, that was written by John Kabat-Zinn and his wife, Everyday Blessings, The Inner Work of Mindful Parenting. And it's nice okay. because there's quite a few books on mums, um, you know, um, Karen Mizen Miller um, writes great books on, on mums and parenting, or she has a really good one. But this one is nice because it, it is written um, with, uh, and I should know his wife's name, that's terrible, just uh, Myla, yeah. Myla Kabat-Zinn. Okay. Um, and it's written by the two of them and it's, yeah. uh, it's not a how to, but it's sort of like, oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, I think people are ready to listen, I guess is what I'm saying. I feel yeah. like there is a shift to listening and, and instead of just waiting to talk next, yeah. you know, let's listen and let's, and then absorb it. So yeah. So any good resource, Derek. thank you and, and have a great day and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Sounds awesome. Okay. Bye. Take, Bye. Take, Take care. care.